we're going to start reading and then uh, get back to where we were. But we're starting, uh, uh, we're continuing on the book of Acts. Really, we're just going to be doing a series really in the first with a section of Acts. There's several sections. They, they usually divide it up in like three major kind of sections. And we're just going to be kind of be t- talking about the first section, which is really the birth and the beginning of the church. And as we uh, talk about Vintage Grace and what it looks like, what it means for us to see Vintage Grace uh, happen, uh, we, I thought we would go back to the very beginning and see how it all started. How, how did Christianity in the very, very beginning get going and get started and so on? And uh, there's some just really rich, amazing, I love these stories. I love going back and looking at these stories. And so um, we're going to be in um, chapter 3, and I'm going to read through the entire chapter. And, uh, and that's to give us the context of the, of the whole story and, and Peter's sermon as a result and so on, okay? So Acts chapter 3, um, starting in verse 1. Hopefully uh, I'm with you guys here, okay? So now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico, portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. And the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are weak witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfills. Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God had spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from all the people. And all the prophets who had spoken from Samuel and and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
God, having raised up his servant, sent you to him first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through this broken vessel this morning. Uh, Father, um, we, we want to hear from you. We want to hear um, your good news. Um, and so, Lord, teach us, give us wisdom, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, you know, when you're, when you befriend neighbors and you uh, um, begin to make relationships with people and so on, you know, two things happen. You get begin to get ho- hopefully sucked into their life celebration. So, like last night, uh, we were uh, with um, our neighbor Barry and Kathy and their and their two sons, and they were celebrating a birthday party and you know in in very traditional Filipino style. You know, there was a spread of food, uh, a big old lechon, which is like the big roast pig. My kids just think it's horrifying with the because it's looking at them, you know. Uh, somebody said, uh, I, I can't eat something that has a snout. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, but, and it reminds me, because like three years ago, we, um, about three, four years ago, when we moved here and began to get to know our neighbor, that was the first party we went to, was our neighbor, whatever. Um, however, also, you get pulled into the other aspects of their life. And uh, one of our neighbors, her son was um, in the Air Force and stationed in Okinawa, and he and his girlfriend were riding his motorcycle and went head on into another and both of them killed instantly. Like, what do you say to that? Like, I went over and I, we t- I took like a little peace lily and a card, you know, sort of the tr- traditional thing when somebody dies. You know, we want to do something, and I and I really was just going to try to hand it off to, like, one of her sons, other sons, or somebody. I noticed they were out front. I was just going to try to hand it off. And they were like, no, 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 stay. And, and so here I am, and here she comes. And I, I don't, what do you say to that? What do you say to somebody who's just lost their son in the prime of his life in this really tragic way, you know? And, and I was blessed to be able to pray with her, and she invited me into uh, you know, help with the funeral and these kind of things, but you know, it just real, just brings to the forefront that we live in a broken, hurting uh, world. Now, very often here in suburbia, money and affluency covers over that. But if you start to get to know people and you start to get into their lives, you will begin to see. The hurt and the brokenness. Um, you know, uh, marriage on the brink of divorce, chronic illness. You know, and I, just in our little church, I can count like over five or six surgeries we've had in the last several months. Just, I mean, some, some of them minor, some of them a big deal, whatever. You know, and, and then just look at our group of, uh, with disabilities and, and so on. I mean, w- even our group. Hurt like this last few years. Just think about countless situations and lost jobs and just the hurt and the brokenness. And it's one of those things like it's kind of like being a cop. You know, it's tough as a pastor not to get kind of jaded with that. Hey Sarah, would you mind turning the lights on? I think it's gotten really dark in here. I think a, a massive storm cloud is right on top of us or something. Uh, thank. You. Oh wow, let there be light. Because <laughs> I'm struggling over here. I know y'all must have been. Um, so, I mean, I think, just look at some other things, you know. But like me, um, I've been doing like CrossFit late, lately. I started CrossFit so I could prove to everybody I'm better than them. Isn't that why people do that? No, I just thought, you know, we were just kind of bored doing something else. But now I'm like, oh, my knee hurts, my elbow hurts, my shoulder hurts. my, You know, and it's like, man, I'm not 26 anymore, you know. Like, it's, I am feeling my age, you know, I got ice, I mean, and I both are like sitting around with ice on our legs and stuff, it's just ridiculous, you know, but like here's the thing, uh, 70% of Americans are on some sort of prescription medication for an injury or illness, 
Over half of Americans are on, t- on at least two medications for an illness or an injury. And here's the thing. Since sin entered the world, people are suffering, they're sick, and they're struggling. I mean, that is a reality. You know, there's, and not just physical suffering, but you get into people's lives, you start to see the spiritual uh, suffering that people are, are facing and, and what there are. And so, um, you know, a big question is, how do we bring the love of Jesus to all this mess around us. You know, that's, that's kind of what we've asked. We've been asking, how do we do this? Finish grace thing. Um, that, and, and this is what it comes down to. We're, kind of, we're going to come back to this, but, you know, how do we do it? And that's why we've come back to this beginning. We've come back to the beginnings of, of the church, coming back to... Um, I just wanted to go right back to the roots and see, how did they do it? You know, because we, I don't want to do this in like some fake, artificial, uh, forced, mechanical way. Um, and so how do we do it? And so, and we've, we've seen, ultimately, we need power. We need the power of God. We, we kind of landed there at the very beginning that, you know, the, the early church, it began when God's Spirit poured out onto people. And, and, and through that, the church was empowered to take the good news of Jesus to their neighborhood, to their community, their city, to the utter ends of the earth. You know, you might look at it like that. Like, it's us taking the gospel to Oakley, to Jacksonville, Florida, to the utter ends of the earth. And... There wasn't a whole lot more of them than there are of us now. And God began to multiply them and, and began to grow his church. And so we, see, we saw, first of all, we have to have power. And so once the, the filling of the Spirit has come, what does that power look like? What does it look like when people receive this filling of the Spirit and the power? Do we start talking in tongues and running around with a tambourine? What do we do? Okay, and we saw, first of all, that, that when God's Spirit is poured out on the church, there is a devotion to God's Word. There is a power in preaching. The foolishness of preaching is the, one of the first results. If you go to a church, and they're, not preaching the good, they're not preaching God's Word, they're not devoted to God's Word, find another one. Because right there, you can just know that it's not, God's Spirit isn't there. If they have an aversion to God's Word, they have an aversion to God. We talked about that. That is the beginning of intimacy with God. And then we saw the other result was that the church, this new community is formed. You know, and we saw this amazing community of, um, of love and sacrifice and generosity. But there was also this devotion to worship, the, 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 the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread. Y'all remember this stuff? The prayers and so on. So there's a devotion to gathering and worshiping God. It was a devotion to one another in community. And because of that, it was infectious. People, it said people were added to their numbers every day. Okay? So, what else? So the story goes on. So we see this new community is built. What else do we see? All right? And then what we see right off at the beginning is we see that the Spirit starts working through these apostles in some powerful ways, these disciples, okay? And so we see this in Acts chapter 3. And so I just want to walk through this story, okay? And what, what we see in this story, we see a tragedy. We see God's power respond through, through his apostles. Okay, then we see a response to that, okay? And so then I want to talk about what we do. What are we going to do with that? What does that mean for us, okay? So I just want to walk through that, okay? First of all, we see this tragedy, right? Here's this guy. And it says, a man lame from birth. All right? And this guy has been disabled from the time he was born. And it says he's like 40 years old. So he's about my age. And, uh, and so his entire life has been one of, you might call, tragedy. There's a lot of tragic things about this story. All right? So, you know, and so first of all, because this this pitiful condition. Now, today... Being disabled 
It is a, a tough, very difficult thing to walk through. But today we have like the American Disabilities Association. You know, there's wheelchair ramps. There's bathrooms. There's uh, I mean, there's all kinds of accommodations. There's you know all I mean, and that is we need more of that. I mean, I support that stuff. But back back in the first century during this time period, that stuff didn't exist. And so you see this guy every day, you know, thankfully he had a couple of buddies at least who could, you know, carry him and lay him right there next to the temple at this gate. And that is his life. Um, and so, but here's the thing, his, his condition is certainly physical, but his condition had a lot of consequences, Okay. Um, which first of one would then poverty. Because of his physical disability, he would have been very poor. There was there wasn't like the cubicle desk job where you're keying in data or whatever. Those you know there was no programming jobs. There was no like you know um, sales jobs on the phone or anything like that. There was no working at home. You know if you were disabled, you weren't going out to make money and, and make a living. That was just the, the, that was it. And so his life is one of poverty. But also his life was, because he couldn't provide for family, whatever, meant he was alone. He was going to be a single man the rest of his life. He was single and he was not going to have a family other than, you know, extended family or whatever else. And then also because um, culturally uh, and, and, and somewhat religiously, People that were crippled or, uh, or dis- disabled were considered, you know, outcast or like something wrong with them. Like, God must not love you because uh, you have this problem. And because God, God blesses the people they love. And so he was going to be an outcast socially. Like, he was at home when everybody else was at the wedding party or whatever else. And so here he is, and his whole life is just, Poverty, singleness, and just begging for handouts. But the, here's the thing, too. His condition is much worse than that. It's much worse than this physical poverty, singleness, and social problems, and maybe emotion. So it's far greater than all these because being disabled meant he would never be able to enter the temple. And, and as a sign of God's holiness and God's righteousness, um, people that were disabled and, and, and had those types of issues were barred from the temple. And so he had a spiritual problem as well. But then there's more tragedy in his life because it's not just his situation. It's kind of what he's done with his situation. Think about what this guy was seeking. You know, here he is, and, and he is just seeking handouts. Now, what he would probably really have wanted was to be healed, right? Like, but I think he had gotten to the point, I mean, how many, how many years, I mean, what year in his life had he given up on the fact that maybe my situation could change? Think about the despair in that. Like, I could walk like that. And he had given up that hope so long ago. And so here he is, and all he's asking of Peter and them, hey, you got, hey, buddy, you got some spare change. That's all you get here. And then add insult to injury is, okay, he's seeking really the wrong thing because handouts aren't really going to help this guy. It's not going to solve his situation. It's just going to patch him down to the next day, right? It's going to kick the can, as they say, down the road. But also, look at where he is. He is right at the doors of the church. However, I mean, he's right next to right the place where supposedly he might receive actually some kind of help. Think about how close he was. However... There's a huge chasm between him and where he can find help. 
you know. And, and here's the thing. I heard one uh, com, uh, preacher commentator say this about this. This priest's, uh, this guy's, I mean, the priest and the, and, the, and, the, and the leaders of the temple, whatever, they are just as paralyzed as this guy. Why aren't they rushing out the doors of the temple to help him? To lay hands on him and to pray for him? Why? Because they had given up too. They had come probably to the same place as he, which is, God doesn't do that kind of thing. God doesn't, God, God doesn't show his power and doesn't show his kindness in miraculous ways. And so, you know, they didn't rush out. And so the gulf between him and, and, and where he could find help was as big as the Grand Canyon. And here's the thing, though. Millions of people today are within arm's length, arm's length, away from any church um, or any, any place where they might receive healing. They're next door to us. They're all around us. You know, and, and, and why aren't we rushing out to help them sometimes? I, mean, I, think, I think we really have to ask a good question. Why aren't we there? Why aren't we on those front lines saying, let us pray for you, let us, right? Probably, like the priest back then, I think sometimes we don't really believe God will do these things. I don't think, I think we want to insulate ourselves and ignore it so that just like the priest just crossed onto the other side of the road, I'm kind of, I'm referring to the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the priests are like, eh, we don't want to be unclean. We don't want to touch that mess. But here's the thing. Bottom line is, like this disabled man, there is physical, mental, social, and spiritual tragedy all around us. It's right outside the gates. It's right outside our doors. And so I, I think there's an awareness that we need. Okay, but let's move on in the story. Let's see, what, let's see what happens here so we're not killing too much time here. So, so then there's this, so Peter, there he comes. He's walking along, and he says, I, I can't give you what you want. But what I, what I can't give you, I will. And, so, and he says, stand up and walk. And there's this amazing miracle. And what this miracle is, is actually a fulfillment of of a prophecy from the Old Testament that says the lame will leap and shout for joy, right? And that's what happens. He says, rise up and walk. I mean, if you can imagine not being able to walk your entire life, I can't. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I, I remember one time when I was a kid, I stepped on a nail and went through my foot, right? And for a month, I had to stay off that foot. I mean, I was like 10, 11 years old, maybe 12. I mean, can you imagine I mean, you might as well have, you know, been boiling, boiling me in oil that whole time. It was that harsh because, like, I was the kind of kid. We were out in the woods and the creeks playing war and all this stuff, and here I am sitting with my foot elevated, going crazy. And I remember when I was finally got clearance to go. Man, it was just like, yeah, you know, get my camo on, man. Let's go. We're gonna go kill the enemy, kind of thing, right? And so, I, I can't imagine. So here's it, but here's this promise. There was a promise in the Old Testament given hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born that his ministry would, would bring two things. One, that he would forgive sins spiritually, and, and, but also that there would be healing in a physical way, that people's bodies would be healed. So, so for example, um, is Isaiah 53. Check out this. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. If we stop there, we would say, uh, yes, by his death, spiritually, we are forgiven, right? And, And he takes our sin upon him so that we would have peace with God, right? That is, that is spiritual healing. 
Okay, but then if you read on, it's key phrase. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, yes, that is spiritual. But I think very much so, these prophecies are about a physical, emotional, social restoration that is promised to God's people. And, and so, here are the disciples. This, has been, this was kind of the question at the very beginning of, of, um, of the book of Acts. Was you know, Jesus was with them. They've seen his death and resurrection. And for 40 days, Jesus appeared to them over and over and over again. Make sure you got it. We're clear. I rose. So make sure y'all are clear on this. And in that time, but the whole time he's saying, I must go. And it's better that I go. And so the question was, what do we do after Jesus leaves? So do we have any access to Jesus now? Okay. So when, when Jesus was here, we could walk up to Jesus and ask him a question. Or if we were sick, people could go up to Jesus and say, hey, would you heal me? Yeah, I have this wart. Would you heal me? Um, and so, but, so now Jesus, is, we, Jesus ascends to the Father, and the question is, so what now? Do we, uh, are we, are we uh, abandoned? Are we orphaned? Are we now alone now? How do we have access to Jesus Will he, you know, will he forgive us? Will he heal us? What, what relationship will we have with Jesus now that he is gone and is with the Father? I think rain maintenance is happening now. Awesome. Cool. Um, what, what do we do? How do we do this? And the answer of the book of Acts, and it's the answer Jesus gave us in, in John 14 and other places, that when he would leave, he would send his helper. That the Holy Spirit would come and, and would come and connect us with Jesus. Now that Jesus is in heaven reigning with the Father, the Holy Spirit is the one who connects us with Jesus. And that's what we see. This Spirit falling out. Okay? And so... Here we have this miracle. And this miracle was a sign that the healing that was promised, that would come through Jesus, has already come. This, this time has come. That there, it is a time of spiritual, emotional, social, and even physical restoration and healing. Now, big questions arise here. This is where we struggle. Okay? So here's the question. Should we see miracles today? Should, should, I, should we be seeing people healed? Should we see uh, 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 people that have disabilities, no longer have those disabilities, people who are on their deathbed, go on? You know what my answer is? Yes and no. Okay? Um, okay yes and no. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, first of all, I believe that God, yes. God absolutely can do that. I have seen him do it. I have seen God heal in a miraculous way. Okay? However, um, uh, I, I don't think it's the norm. Okay? So let, let me explain myself here real quickly. Okay? This is help you guys understand where we need to be with this. Okay? Should we pray for miracles? Should we ask God? Yes. Can he answer and say yes and it happened? Boom. Yes. He's God. It can happen. Okay. However, I'm at this stage in the life of the church, I don't think it's going to be a regular and normal everyday kind of thing. And why do I say that? If you actually look at the, if you go through the entire Bible, and you, if you were to graph, in a, in a, in a if you, you just lay out a timeline, okay, not just the books themselves, but if you lay out a timeline of of the history of of the of the Bible or whatever. Okay, what you see is cluster, major clusters of times when there's all these miraculous things happening. Okay, so in other words, in, 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 in key points in redemptive history, 
key points in the story of God, you see more miracles happening than others. As a matter of fact, there's very there, if, you, if you stretch out the timeline, miracles and miraculous events are actually very, very rare. If you read through the Bible, you're like, they're happening all the time, right? You're like, man, this should be happening all the time. What's wrong with us? Did God check out? Did God go on vacation? What's happening? But if you stretch out the timeline of the Bible, you realize, oh, there was hundreds of years and nothing happened. There was 100 years here and nothing happened. So when does it happen? When do these things happen? I think they happen at key points in God's story in the redemptive history. Like, for example, the Exodus, taking God's people, forming this nation and redeeming them out of Israel, right? And giving the law and birthing this nation and so on. And then there's periods where there's nothing. Okay? The life of Jesus. Why wouldn't there be, you know, here's the Son of God, the Messiah has come to earth. You would, it would be silly if things like that didn't happen. And then at the very beginning, the birthing, and the, and the, the, the birthing of the church at the very beginning, of course you're going to see these. So we're, we're, there's going to be periods where we don't. Okay, and so will we see them sometimes? Yes. Has the restoration come? Yes, but not in its entirety, in its fulfillment. Another, one last little thing about that, too. Okay? Okay? I think another reason why very often we're not going to see these amazing and miraculous things happening a lot is because God doesn't always, doesn't, doesn't prefer to work in this way. Okay, there's different ways to show your glory, right? I, and, and we see this, God at t- times and in history shows his glory in amazing, dazzling ways. Where it's, you know, lightning and thunder, a pillar of cloud, miracles, sh- displays of power. Yes, and God, that is God. God. We should tremble before a holy God. However... The, the main story, the main point of the entire Bible is that God would show his glory in a different way. That he would show his glory in the person of Jesus, which was not a display of dazzle and lights and fire and conquest, right? He showed his glory in weakness, humbleness, servitude, suffering. See, God very often is showing his glory. He's showing the, the power and glory of himself, not through victory and health and wealth and success. He is showing it in our weakness. And if we catch that as God's people, we will start to see God's power and his glory a lot more than we think. And so we need to be careful, be really cautious how we respond to, to miraculous things like this or times when a million people come to know Jesus or thousands of people come to know Jesus all of a sudden, all these kind of things or these types of things because, what we, okay, because we can miss the point. And that's what happened here, okay? We see the response of the people and we see other people are amazed, right? Here's this guy that everybody knew. He's been crippled. He's been disabled since he was, uh, uh, since he was born. Everybody, this guy, the fixture, you know? It's like if he didn't, if he got, he had a cold and didn't show up, everybody's like, hey, where's Bob? He's usually out here, you know? Everybody's just so normal. He's so regular that he's been out there so long, all right? They're amazed. They're they're astounded, it says. However, I think they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Okay? They are looking at Peter and the disciples, and they're looking at like, whoa, how did you guys do that? And they're probably like, do it again. You know, so everybody's rushing over, and they're all going to this uh, place called this portico, probably a place with a shade and whatever, and people would gather around the, you know, the temple complex there, very social place. And Peter and John and the disciples are there. And here they all come. They're all crowding around. They're like, man, 
do it again. That was cool. Hey, I got this place on I'm like my knee, you know. Uh, you know, all they're all coming forward. And and um, okay. So but here's the thing: the crowd's response to the miracle okay, led to the people's amazement, and they're gathering around them. But, but, but here's the thing: who are they looking at? It says all their eyes were on Peter and John. And Peter, sensing that they are missing the point here. They have, they've missed the idea here. Peter stands up and he addresses the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And, and why are you looking at us like we did something? He's like, he says that. He's like, like, like by our own power or our own goodness or our whatever, our own piety, I think as the text reads. By our own, like, like we did this. Like, no, you're missing the point. Okay? Okay? You're missing the point. God did this. That in the name, it says, in the name of Jesus, this happened. The point of this miracle was that God would be glorified, not us. Do you hear this? So here's John, I mean, here's Peter, here's John, the disciples. They are most concerned. With God getting the credit here. And let me tell you, I'm sorry, but it, it has to be tempting. Like, can you imagine if God used you to, to heal somebody? That somebody who's been uh, disabled from birth? I just suspect I would be ever so slightly tempted to be like, yeah, I did. Did you see that? I, I might give God, like, like kind of credit. Like, yeah, God used me to do that. I'm serious. I mean, and all of us would be, right? We'd have to be. Like, all the people crowding around, like, yeah, God, yeah, this is awesome. Yes, you know? And, like, Peter and, and John and those guys would, especially Peter, man, he liked, to, he liked to be out front, man. And the idea, like, yes, yes, come, let me pray for you, right? Let me wave my jacket on you or whatever. Okay, some of y'all got that reference. So, so, you know, there's got to be the temptation there. But here's the thing. The early church, Try to pick up on this. The early church was filled with God's Spirit, and people that are filled with God's Spirit are consumed with God's glory, not their own. Are you following me here? Okay? The, a sign that people are filled with His Spirit are concerned with God taking the credit, God getting the glory, not themselves. Okay? And here's the thing, God, well, I missed that verse, didn't I? God, uh, okay, God is seeking people that are consumed with his glory. And when he finds them, he's going to pour out his spirit on them, okay? Okay, and so, right, what do we do with this? Okay, let me, let me move forward in these slides because I think I'm off. Okay, there we go, back up, okay? So what is our task then? What are we to do with this. Now, okay, remember this temptation to take the glory? I've been there, okay? I've been there when God has done cool stuff in the ministries that I've led or been a part of, okay? And let me tell you what. It is really, really easy to start taking credit for it. We start having a sense of pride. Accomplishing it, okay, and and then you know, and a lot of churches as well. And I've been here, guys. A lot of the churches these days, they look around and they see how consumeristic our culture has become, and they say, "Why try to beat this culture? Why try? Why not? Why not? Let's stop trying to beat them. Let's join them in a sense, right? Let's just meet people where they are." And so, intentionally, I'm telling you. I've been a part of this. Churches are intentionally trying to create okay, environments, programs, experiences that cater to the modern consumer. So I know a couple of churches that ha- they bought out a mall, like a, like a, a mall that has different looks. And they had, uh, in the mall, they had like multiple service locations and everybody had their own style. 
Okay, so there was a coffee house uh, service. There was your rock and roll service. There was a traditional service. There was, you know, your light rock service. And then, you know, whatever else, right? And they would say, we have just, we tried to stop trying to fight consumerism. We tried to stop dealing with that. We're just going to just let the consumers come. And, 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 um, Look at, look at, what's the problem with this, first of all, okay? I would say number one is if you draw people consumeristically, you have to keep them that, that way, right? So if, if we draw people in with consumerism and we, we attract people with the, with the experience and this, that, and the other, you got to keep that going. You got to keep it fed or they go to the next place. And the next rebrand, the next church plant that's doing it better than you, those people leave and go there. And that's what's happening right now, okay? The church in America is not really growing. Y'all catch that? Now, there's all these big, amazing churches, right? Where are those people coming from? Where are they coming from? Other churches, because they're not giving the consumer product anymore. And, so, and you see this situation here. Here's this, this, this uh, disabled guy. Here he is, and what is he asking for? Hey, just give me a handout. Just give me what I think I need. And, and let's look at how Peter responds to this, okay? Resp- Peter responds to this disabled man, okay? Clearly wanted a handout, but here's the thing, okay? Peter refuses to step into his consumer needs, okay, or to respond to his consumer needs. Instead, wants to give what this man needs. So instead of this guy's consumer desires, he gives what this guy needs, okay? So it's tempting to want to please people as a church? Okay, trust me. When I hear people say, so do you have a youth ministry? I'm like, oh, we don't have a youth ministry, you know? Like, you don't have a thousand people? Oh, man, you know? Uh, you know, you don't have a full band anymore? You know, duck it. Sorry, man. Uh, you, know, you know, we don't, uh, all these things. We, you know, we want to we please people. We want to make, we want to we grow. And here's the thing. Churches today are doing things, anything they can, even if it's to uh, cater to consumer desires, they will do anything they can do to grow their numbers and to grow the church. And the reality is, though, they're not are they really giving people what they need. They're not going giving people what they want. Are they giving them what they need? And here you see people, okay, you see, disciples, they're, 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 they're not going to, they could have just thrown them some change and been done. Instead, they step out asking God, help us to meet this guy at his needs. Right? And that's audacious. That's scary. To, to God, help, how do we meet this person's real needs? Now, they might be somebody who's disabled and saying, would you, I need God to heal me and fix me. And maybe, no, you need to know God in your weakness and brokenness. You need to know another kind of healing. Because one day you will meet your God. Okay? And, and if you know him, you will be a part of this restoration that's talked about in this passage. So, okay, what about us? So we are called to take the healing power of Jesus to a broken, hurting, dying people. How do we do that? We do it through God's power, through His Spirit. Okay, and so when I, you know, I look around um, my neighborhood, just my neighborhood, just a few hundred people, and I'm like, how do I help these people? You know, I mean, I, how do I speak into their lives? It's, it breaks my heart. Okay, so here's a, I'm going to summarize what we've said. Okay, and we're going to wrap up. Okay. First of all, we need to recognize the, the true nature of the tragedy around us. Notice how notice it tells Peter. Peter, it says, fixed his gaze upon this guy. It's just, uh, and I don't think it means that Jesus was like in a staring contest, but that's the kind of word here. Okay? It's the, it's the word to intensely focus on and look at somebody. That sounds weird if, 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 if something else isn't happening, right? He's just like, 
like a Jedi stare or something. No, that's not happening. In other words, he is paying attention. He is looking beyond what is obvious. He's looking beyond the situation. He's looking at where's the real need, and he's intentionally listening to the situation. You hear it? And so are we. Are we listening? Are we listening and, and paying attention to the people around us? Because here in suburbia, it can look pretty good. You know, people can look like they got it all together. Okay? But in the, in the reality, if we pay attention, we get to know them, we fix our gaze on them, we'll see there's more to the story. I guarantee it. Okay? Secondly, we need to point people to their truest need. Okay? This miracle is considered a sign. Okay? It's called a sign. And a sign points to something else, right? Sign isn't for itself. A sign points you to something else. And what is this sign pointing to? What was this sign pointing to? That Jesus has come and he has begun the process of restoration. Okay? And so first of all, our hearts need Jesus and him first. Okay? And if we know Jesus, one day he will restore our bodies. Okay? When Jesus returns, a new heaven, a new earth, he's going to wipe away every tear, all disability, all pain, suffering, and even death itself will be, will be wiped away. But people's, the, the ultimate need here is that Jesus would be glorified in people's hearts. Okay? And then lastly, as a church, are we consumed with God's glory? Are, are we consumed with making God much, making much of God, raising and praising his name above all things? And that's what we need to be. We, we need to start, in, in my own heart, stop caring about vintage grace or my own life or whatever, that God will be glorified. God, use me, use me however you will. Use vintage grace as you will. Even if that means suffering and weakness, show your glory through this. Okay? And then lastly, that's for us believers. Okay? Those are our challenges that we would recognize that there is suffering and tragedy all around us. And it goes deeper than it appears. And that we need to um, point people to Jesus. That is our calling. That is our one thing. The one thing. Get the one thing right. And then thirdly, that we would be consumed with God's glory. But here, here's the thing. If you aren't a believer, and you haven't today, and you haven't received the restoration, the, the spiritual healing that he offers us, let me just invite you to this. Because here's the thing. It says here, if, it says, Peter says, if repent, turn back to God, that your sins might be blotted out here in verse 19. That here's the thing, I love this verse here. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So in the midst of this, he, Peter preaches and lays out the gospel and says, turn back to God. All you have to do is do it. Receive it. It is a free gift. And your sins will be blotted out and, and seasons of refreshing will come. Does that mean Every ailment, every sickness, everything in this world are going to... No. But it's a refreshing, it's a joy that rises above this stuff. Because it gives us hope that God is using all this stuff, all this pain and suffering for His glory. And that one day, He's going to restore all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this super cool story. And Lord, um, I, I thank You... Um, for the message that it presents to us, um, that we um, we need to recognize the brokenness, the hurting, the spiritual tragedy all around us. Um, Lord, help us to be people that are looking and are paying attention to those around us. Help us to be people that are pointing, pointing others to their truest need, Jesus. that are glorifying you in all things. We would be, not be tempted to get caught up in, in, in 
and what would please people or create numbers or whatever else, but that we would be people that are um, just consumed with your glory. And so, Father, we, we pray for your help in this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And we see this glory. Uh, John Piper calls it a peculiar glory. It's not the general glory that dazzles and, and, and causes people to be afraid. It is a glory that is shown through humbleness, through meekness, through serving, and ultimately through suffering. That God would be glorified through what the world would see as an utter defeat. And, and so this table is a picture of that glory glory uh, that Jesus would reveal to us through his broken body and his shed blood. And so the night before Jesus was betrayed, having given thanks, and, and as he says several places in the gospel of John, I go to be glorified. And what he means is I go to be broken, to be beaten, be mocked. And ultimately to die so that others might have refreshing in their souls and their sin might be blotted out. So he gave thanks and he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of your sins. Drink all of it together. So, I remind you guys, it's real wine on the outside and grape juice on the inside and whatever you feel comfortable with. And y'all would just make your way up from the back, coming to the board and hang on to your elements and we will take those together. <laughs>